podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome back to the Liverpool Groove. I am delighted to say that joining me today is the author of Little at 100 and his new book, Crossing the Park, Keith Kenny Jones. It's an honour to have you on, mate. How are you doing? Oh, yeah, boss. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And um, yeah, looking forward to speaking about it. My pleasure. My pleasure. So, first and foremost, congratulations on the new book. Um, how excited are you for people to see all the work that's gone into it? Yeah, maybe nervous more than anything else because this one um, might split a few decisions and fan bases and all that because I know it's, <laughs> um, it's not the most popular to- topic trying to bring Liverpool and Everton together. But um, yeah, obviously excited and hopefully people enjoy it. But as you say, it's um, maybe apprehensive of what some people might say, but but hopefully um, it goes down well, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it will do. I mean, I've um, I've got it on my Kindle there. I've, I'm about halfway through it and it's, it's honestly, it's a great read. And it, it's so it's it's so insightful. Like I don't think, I don't think even I realized like just how many had played for both clubs. I mean, you know the obvious ones, your mm-hmm. your Bambies, your McMahon, your Beardsleys, and all stuff like that. And then beyond that, it's 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 very eye opening. So it was, it's great. What was the inspiration behind wanting to do this? Is your next book? Yeah, well, firstly, thank you for all that. And um, yeah, it's just I was I was interested. Basically, I looked at. How many there was, and then you know, if you think off the top of your head without research, then you can't name too many. And then I just started looking into who they were. Obviously, as you say, like people like Nick Barnby, I think everyone remembers and, and jumps to. And then you just think, why is he so like negatively thought of? And obviously, you understand why because <laughs> the way he did it. But a few months later, Abel Savier does exactly the same thing, and no one really cares about him. So it's just interesting to see how the, those two are different. And then like, you're looking into it and you, you totally forget Sander Westerveld played for them and on the emergency loan. And then you carry on and then look at Conor Cody now. And I was just thinking the way that each player, and you know, including the managers as well, like Rafael, obviously, who's a big one, the way that each of them was thought differently, it just made me think, well, let, let's dive into it a bit more and see what's going on. And obviously the further you go back, you realise that you know the, the two clubs haven't always hated each other. They were looking out for each other for yeah. a large period of this the history and this rivalry and then when you go to the very start like it, it was split because of John Holden and it was a rivalry at the start and he was trying to rub Everton's face and every Derby Day victory he could get to it was just interesting maybe looking at it through there and seeing when the rivalry changed like was there a date was there a player that broke the, the relationship and you know just by looking through them all it's basically each player is different and each man I thought just deserved to have at least their story told and maybe just try and through that view how the relationship changed, how how the city's changed and, and and everything really. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned like Nick Barnby and Abel Xavier there and how they looked at differently in terms of the move and things like that. Do you think it's anything down to the sort of success they had at the respective clubs? Obviously, Nick Barnby's time you would say was more successful at Liverpool than Abel Xavier's was. Yeah, well, of course, and I think obviously what makes the difference is probably Nick Barnby was better, which you're obviously going to be more upset when your better players go. And I think you know there's a real argument at the time to say Nick Barnby was Everton's best player. So imagine your best player coming out, not just saying they want to leave, but saying they want to go and play for Liverpool. Is not it's how it there's not many ways that that can't go down in the way it did, and you know for him to do that, you can f- fully understand why everyone who's connected with Everton wants to cut ties with him. But then. He comes to Liverpool and, you know, he definitely wasn't as good for Liverpool in terms of 
you know, his status within the club as he was at Everton, but he was part of that treble winning team. So he's he's definitely not going to regret the decision to burn his bridges because, you know, the rest of his life he can go look back on those medals he won. And, you know, as much as it must have been terrible for him at the time, you know, in the bucket of his whole family had um, a police escort down Queen's Drive on Derby Day. And, you know, it, it definitely wouldn't have been a safe time probably for him to be walking about the city on his own. But, I think now all it's said and done, he, he probably doesn't regret it. So you look at that one, you understand why he's happy, why Everton hates him and why probably Liverpool fans are happy to laugh at the fact that they got one of the best players. But then Abel Zavier, he was kind of in and out of the Everton team as he was going and they needed money, but there wasn't a good time for them. And, and uh, Marcus Babel had just gone ill and we needed a backup right back to help play in the Champions League. And basically that's how they sold it to him. He said, you know, if you join us, He'll be playing Champions League football next week, and that was all the convincing he needed. He wasn't really starting for Everton. They they took any bid they could really get for him because they needed the money. So on that one, you can see, but obviously <laughs> it worked best for everyone. Everyone kind of got the best yeah. of the situation. Yeah. So again, I, I, I feel like I say this five million times, but each player is different, each transfer is different, and I think that's just what makes it interesting because there is a right way to do it, there's a wrong way to do it, and it's just yeah, each person, each tale is different. Yeah, absolutely. So, going back to the very start, Tom Wiley uh, was the first player, I believe, to transfer directly between the two clubs. At the time, how significant was that? I think it was basically, he chose John Holden over Everton. It wasn't really a Liverpool thing, because Liverpool didn't exist. So, there was three players in Liverpool's first ever game who had played for Everton, but they were basically just, they stayed with their boss. And obviously, it wasn't really managers in those days. They just stayed with the owner of the club. So, I think for them, obviously, you know, there'll be people at Goodison Park when Everton played a first game and they'd have been looking at, you know, three men who were in their team who decided to stay over across the park, <laughs> pardon the, the, the pun or the plug there, but they've decided to do that. Then they're obviously going to have, they're going to look down on them a bit. Aren't they? So they, they probably wouldn't have helped their reputation. And, you know, Liverpool's first few games are played in front of, you know, tens of fans. It's not like it's a massive club straight away. They have the, the massive stadium that's been built up and was purpose built for, for Everton and it just won the league in there. So it was a good stadium, but they were you know, trying to work their way into the second division. They didn't have many fans and John Holden kicks off the first ever game and he's got three ex-Everton players there and you know, he tries to call Liverpool Everton Athletic to, to really spite Everton at the start. So, you know, it could have all been very different. But I think for those today, I don't think maybe they were necessarily like hated or anything, but that for them, they just made a professional decision to stay with the person who was paying their wages for the last year rather than going join a new club, which both of them were splitting off into to different things. There was probably uncertainty over both of them. But yeah, I think for them, they probably weren't necessarily hated, but obviously they're all trailblazers and, and the first people you know, to not cross the park, but have played for both teams. I don't think that'll ever yeah. happen again. And that's those three men. So, so Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned John Holden there. Um, obviously, these players, you know, leaving Everton to come to Liverpool, they're, they're leaving behind first division football to play you know, not even second division at the time. How important was John Holden's influence at the time? Yeah, well, obviously, it's it's well known, the splitter with hiring the rent and over alcohol-related issues within the Everton board and the people who voted to, to leave to leave Anfield and, and to leave John Holden. But obviously, he was a wealthy man and he, he bankrolled 
Everton's success in the early years. Obviously, there were still wage caps and stuff like that, but he bankrolled the stadium being built up and that was all out of his own pocket. And that's why he put the rent up because he'd paid to make the stadium what it was. So he thought he deserved more money for it and he wanted to start advertising his beer. So he started his own club and you know, he, he's got a reputation in the game. At least you know, he's got a name so he could pull a few strings and you know, Liverpool's first ever team is the team of Max or Scottish players and that's obviously where he had a good connection and by convincing the three players that we mentioned then who were at Everton and stayed at Liverpool and building a team up, it showed that he had credentials in football. You know, Liverpool go straight up, straight into the first division and, and the, the winning league titles very quickly. So, you know, he was a wealthy and successful businessman who obviously it worked well for him taking that risk, you know, because you see where both clubs have gone. It, it Maybe it's a, he, he got the better of the deal, but at the time he... He certainly took a massive risk and it did pay off for him. You know, it could have ended up in a massive stadium, cost him loads of money and, and no one coming there to watch him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it's definitely worked out for the better for, uh, for our side of things. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? How how it all just happened so quickly and how, like you say, we were able to get success so quickly. Um, and obviously, John Holden's was, you know, he was a big part of that. Um, one team in the book that's mentioned, a lot early on is uh, Scottish side Renton. Um, is it fair to say both sides are somewhat, certainly in the early days, indebted to Renton for the respective successes? Yeah, definitely. I don't think so. It's not someone I'd heard of before I started doing the research. I don't know about yourself before you, you saw the book. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, it's, um, it's mad that how much influence they did have at the start. And, you know, they, they obviously were viewed as the greatest team in the world because they beat the English League champion. I think it was West Brom they beat, and that was deemed as like, you know, that was the game that showed everyone that they were the greatest team. And obviously, I think Scotland still had a high regard. The football there was deemed like to be better football and talent in Scotland, and England was maybe a bit more, you know, tackling and running into each other, but Scotland were deemed to play the game better. So to have those players coming from that team and going to Everton originally, and then obviously someone coming to Liverpool and trading in between, you know, it, it shows that you know, they, they were coming from good stock. So, you obviously, you, to have Renton as a feeder club, and if that's the best club in the world and they were feeding a lot of talent to, to Liverpool, either to just the city or just to Evan at the time, you know, to to have those style of players and talented players obviously was, was a massive buzz. And, you know, it, once they got found out, they were legally paying the players. I think that's probably what what helped Liverpool and Everton even more because they could offer them more money in England and convince them to move down. But you know, as you see in the book, like they were getting homesick and going back to Scotland and all that. Which you know, nowadays you, you think people coming from the other side, no else getting homesick is maybe you maybe you're overreacting a bit. But they're coming from Scotland, but it just shows again how different the times are. But yeah, definitely, I think Renton had a had a big role to play in some of the the first trophies won in the city. Yeah, absolutely. And I was I was interested to see that Renton only, you know, they weren't around for too long. I think they dissolved in like 1922. So to have so much success for them themselves in, in a short period of time and then for it to help, you know, both sides out is, is quite remarkable, really. Yeah, well, definitely. And just, you know, they definitely had the, the maybe the, the role of honour or, you know, the trophies to say that they could be up there today if they still existed. You'd think they'd still be in, competing with the Celtic and the Rangers, you know, if the way they'd carried on how they were going. But he said, I think they fell on the financial difficulties and got found out a, bit, a few times trying to fiddle the books. And that's probably what led to their undoing. But yeah, as you say, it is, it is remarkable just looking at them and how much influence they had in the, in the early days of just Scottish football and, and Liverpool and Everton and then just seeing 
you look at them, you get them quick Google and you say, yeah, they don't even exist and they exist for very long and they're a distant memory for everyone. But yeah, as they say, have a, have a huge role to play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so bringing it more to the present now, um, there have recently been rumours on, on Twitter and I don't know how concrete these are, of course, with, with it being Twitter, but there have been rumours that Liverpool have been interested in Jared Brantwaite, who of course is on loan at PSV from Everton. While it's unlikely, how significant would that be if that move happened? Well, huge. As you said before, Apple's have faced the last one, 20, 20 odd years, and it's 21 years since it's happened, maybe more. You know, for for that to happen again, of course, that's significant. You know, that there's a reason it hasn't happened that long, you know, and it's it, it would make headlines again, whether it because he spent a season away on loan and it maybe might make it less volatile for him because you know, it's not like he's playing there right now and in the next season he's playing on field. But still, it, it would make huge headlines. You know, you see you know, people like Conor Cody, as I said before, he's only on loan at Everton and he didn't go directly and that still created a bit of a media storm, didn't it? So for him to yeah. make a direct transfer would, would be massive news. And, you know, it's hard to fathom why it hasn't happened more often or hasn't happened more recently than, than anything else. And, yeah, I think it just it would be a massive deal, but and it just would be hard to see how Liverpool and Everton can sit on the same negotiating table and, and come out with something. But you know, with with what's going on at Everton at the moment and you know, fighting for their lives and the new stadium, they they might be forced to do a bit of a fire sale this summer. And maybe like with what happened with Abel Xavier, they might their arm might be forced, and that they they have to accept offers for players who want to go and. So maybe that context makes it easier for for Brayfoy to be to come. But as you say, it's all rumours and speculation, and these things happen a lot. But yeah, I think no matter what, the next direct transfer will be massive, and it's just hard to see when that may or may not happen. Yeah, as you mentioned, there Xavier was the last one. I think it was twenty one years ago now uh, to move directly between clubs. Do you think the reason more haven't happened in in the last twenty twenty or so years is down to the sort of growing animosity between the two sets of fans. It seems to have really deteriorated the relationship between the two sets of fans over the last sort of, I wouldn't even say over the last 20 years. I think it's more over the last like 10, 10 years or so. It, it really seems to have gone to a, a really dark place. Do you think that's a, a key factor to it? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, because, you know, if you're an agent of a player maybe and you're, and you're saying to them, you know, if you go there, you're gonna, you, you've almost taken two steps back before you go. And, you know, maybe... The team welcoming the player and will be will be joyous. It all depends on the player. If you say with Rafa Benitez, say you know if if he was at the peak of his powers and he was coming to go to Everton when he did, then they'd all be loving the fact that he, he was going. They, they'd rub it in the poor fans' faces because he'd won the European Cup. But the way he came, you know, it maybe wasn't at the very top of his game. He, he comes from having managed in China and stuff like that, and he's coming to try and save them. Then that changed the context of that. So yeah, I think it's. It is going to be massive news when it next happens. But, you know, again, even as we said with Conor Cody, it wasn't like Liverpool fans absolutely hate him. And it's not like Everton fans didn't welcome him with open arms. So, okay, it just depends on the player. But, you know, I've said a few times as well, like Bill Kenwright, I'm not sure if he has a role to play. I know he's not exactly the most popular man for Everton fans, but he's the only player, the only man at the, the hierarchy of both clubs who's a boiled red or a boiled blue, you know, who makes real decisions and whether. He doesn't want that to happen because you know there's there's Liverpool connections. He doesn't want to sell to them. Doesn't want to buy players off them. You don't know and whether maybe even when he leaves the club that changes. But you know I think 
if you're an agent of a player, as I said before, and you're getting offers off Liverpool or off Everton, you're probably going to have similar offers from teams around them. And maybe it's a safer move to to go somewhere else and, and just not have the animosity. Because, you know, as I said before, if you see with Rafa, he had a good start. But as soon as things start going wrong, both sets of fans have got to stick to beat you with straight away, haven't they? You know, I used to play for Everton, used to play for Liverpool, and it's probably not going to go down too well. But... Yeah, sadly, it does look like that, that does have a, a big role to play that the uh, the rivalry at the moment. Yeah. Speaking of Rafa, um, were you shocked when he took the Everton job? Um, when you look into it, no, I think maybe was, the reports were shocking because maybe you wouldn't expect that he like Everton would want him or he'd want to go there. But you know, he still lives in, in Merseyside, he lives on the Whittle and. For him, it was a very professional decision, wasn't it? To just stay in his home, not have to live away from his wife and kids. And you know, you're, not, you're probably not going to get the Liverpool job ever again. So if you get Everton, that's the next best thing. If you're someone who's living in the city and wants to work, you know, he, he's still now very publicly saying he wants to be in the Premier League, isn't he? Because he wants to stay at home. So it, it, that's literally the best job maybe other than Tramier he could get. And I don't think Tramier could afford him. So, um, yeah, I think it's surprising in the fact you think as a Liverpool fan, maybe you expect that you know you might feel hurt and think, "Oh, we thought that we meant more to you than that." And obviously, that would upset you, shock you. But if you look at it from him, he, he doesn't see it as a as a, a conflict of interest or anything. It's a purely professional decision, and probably the best club in the world he could have got an offer of, other than Liverpool, was Everton, which is hard for Liverpool fans to fathom. But I think when you look at it through his glasses, maybe, and it might make more sense. Yeah, I think that was the thing with it. I think. Liverpool fans did understand his, his reasons for doing it and even now I don't think there's any Liverpool fan who has any hatred towards him or animosity towards him they understand like you say he still he still lives on Merseyside his family love it here so it made sense in, in that you know it's, I think it was people were looking at like he's not going there because he wants to manage Everton he's going there because he wants to be close to his family and yeah. like you say it was a professional decision so well, if he um, if he wins a cup with them and wins the league with them, then that I think that changes very quickly, doesn't it? So I think it helps absolutely. Liverpool fans that he didn't do very well, and obviously the whole <laughs> agent Rafa thing that that went about. I think that makes it even better that he did go there, and maybe it wasn't a success. So it's um, it could all change, all could have changed very quickly. But yeah, I think he's probably kept his, his status quite high at at Anfield. Yeah, absolutely. You see the amount of players that have played for both clubs. Is it is it a bit surprising then that? Rafa was only the second manager to have ever managed both clubs. Yeah, well, huge. I think that's the first one, William Edward Barkley. And when you look into the, the chapter that about him, he wasn't really a manager. You know, he was sat in a boardroom and selected the team with the rest of the other board members. It wasn't like he was wearing a tracksuit on the training ground and, and giving formation and tactics out before games. You know, he just some man in a suit who, who, who helped select both teams. So Rafa really is the only person who's managed both teams. And that is a massive surprise as well. You know, obviously, I think Sammy Lee, someone I mentioned, who obviously followed Sam Allardyce to Everton and was part of coaching teams for a while at Anfield. So there has been people like that. But for managers, you know, it's maybe it's worse for them. Maybe it's better. I don't know. I could never see Jurgen Klopp going to Everton. I, don't, I can't see Sean Dyche coming to Liverpool. But, you know, maybe you'd think over the years it would happen more. But, you know, I think managers are maybe so invested in the club and the city that, it's hard for them to to go to the other side, but you know you look at clubs in London and you know, they swap players and swap managers like nothing, don't they? So it is yeah. it is interesting. You know, you, it should be the same for players and managers, so it doesn't really make any sense. But 
yeah, I can't tell you why, but it is it is a surprise. There's only ever been one man ever to do it. Yeah, it seems like a bigger thing in Liverpool and maybe Manchester than anywhere else. You see with like Birmingham and Villa, they've had you know Alex and Cleach went directly from one to the other. They've had um, Liam Ridgewell played for like all three of them, didn't he? Birmingham, Villa, West yeah. Brom. Then you've got, like you say, the London club. So it is, it is. Maybe it's a northern thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe a bit, bit meaner maybe, that, maybe uh, a bit down more. here, up there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then, in your opinion, who's the best player to play for both sides? Well, in the book, I'm not sure if you looked there yet, but after like the World War Two players and maybe ones who are in more living memory. I went at the start of this, this season. I went to both grounds, asked 50 fans of each team, like, out of 10, how much of a club legend is this player? And out of 10, how much of a traitor are they if they went to the other club after? And Peter Beardsley was the most widely respected player. So I think that answers the question really in itself. Cause you know, it, if you're the most respected and acknowledged player for both fan bases, then I chose to put them rivalries aside and concede that he was a really good player. So you know, I think it has got to be him. You know, there's arguments for people like David Johnson, uh, Steve McMahon, maybe, although Liverpool weren't at the peak at the time and definitely didn't get his best years, Dave Hickson, who, who was a massive player for Everton. But I think a player who managed to succeed at both clubs and show his talent at both clubs and is still respected by both clubs, I think Peter Baisley probably is the best one. And, you know, that says a lot about what he was like as a player because not only did he play for Liverpool and Everton, he played for Man City and Man United as well. So he, he couldn't have done more to upset every Liverpool or Everton fan for the teams he played with, but he's still respected. I think, as I said, that just speaks volumes for how good of a player he was. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was I was going to mention that myself. <laughs> Just One thing I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed this yourself uh, in the women's game, is there doesn't seem to be the same sort of... Um, maybe indifference to moving between these types of clubs. I think, I can't remember exactly which player it was, but there's one who went, I think, directly from Man City to Man United and then has also gone directly from Liverpool to Everton or the other way around. Uh, why do you think that is, that it's not as sort of taboo in the women's game? Yeah, but that was a, it's not a question because that's deliberately why it's called the men who, who dared to play for both. <laughs> I didn't want to just say those who did because obviously the, the women's game, there's a lot more people who do it. I think, I don't think the maybe the intensity of supporters is is there in in the women's game. Though I I went to the women's derby at Goodison and I sat with my missus who's, who's an Everton fan and my other mate who's a Liverpool fan and worked with my my, my auntie who's a Liverpool fan and her fellas and Everton. You know we all sat together and that yeah. would never happen. Obviously it happened back in the day in, in Merseyside derbies, but that wouldn't happen now. And I think although women's football is definitely on the on the rise and. The Liverpool fans of the men's team want to see the women's team do well. I don't think there's that ferocious rivalry and intensity in supporting them yet, which hopefully will come in the years. And you know, you definitely want your team to win, but I just don't think that we're quite there in terms of the hatred for the for the other sides, if you know what I mean. So I think in the, in the years to come it will happen, and as it's as the game grows. But I just think right now we're we're not fully there. Yeah, no, I agree absolutely. Um, finally then. You've got uh, the book launch this evening, um, which I believe is also for charity, the food banks. Um, Steve McMahon and Kevin Sheedy are both involved in on the evening. How much are you looking forward to that tonight? Yeah, I'm, I think stressed at this very moment in time, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it hopefully it, it it should be a good night. There's a lot of a lot of effort and planning has gone into it, but hopefully it's 
something that you know doesn't really happen too often. You know, Kevin Cheedy talking about being a Liverpool player and his team at Man City about being an Everton player because obviously they've both got a full family in one camp over the other. And I think just on that basis, it'd be interesting and obviously just to hear them speak and then obviously they're taking questions from the fans and I think it'd be a good insight into what it is for for certain players exactly to you know obviously I tried to get to speak to as many as I could for the book but to maybe to hear them say it and watch them say it would be a little bit different but yeah and obviously on top of that to, to raise money for fan support and food banks which I think as I go later on in the book I just try and show that I think it's quite sad that this rivalry is growing to the, the bitter hatred it is today and I don't think there's anyone or any initiative that's been better in uniting Liverpool and Everton and fan support and food banks so it'd be great to support them as well and yeah, hopefully it's, it's a good night and it's worth all the stress and, and effort. And, um, yeah, at the end of it, I can have a pint and, and relax and maybe a lie in tomorrow. That would all be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and for anyone hoping to go tonight, is a ticket still available for it? Yes, there's still a few left, yeah. So um, I'm doing pay on the door because I know a few people are, so you can do that or you can still get them through Skiddle. Um, yeah, it's £20 entry. I say all proceeds are going to charity. I'm not making any money off it. It's literally just a pay for the the entertainment so music on there's food there there's obviously the, the two ex-footballers and there's a boss raffle as well but yes £20 to get in the books are £15 if you get there and you can get a VIP package where you get like a free drink and table service and all that but yeah if you come along it's Hotel Anfield doors open at half six starts at like half seven and yeah but I think there's still a few left so come along if you can that'd be great yeah uh, perfect well Peter, thanks very much for joining me. I, I know it's a busy day for you with, with everything going on, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Best of luck at the launch tonight. As I say, it's a, it's a fantastic read so far. That as far as I, I am into it, it's a, it's a honestly brilliant read, and you know we should be proud. There's been a lot of effort gone into it, clearly. Oh, nice. Well, I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. And I'll, um, I'll be here for the next one, and I'll have more than <laughs> half an hour defo for you, so I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you very much. No worries, mate. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.